I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. So, there is systemic racism in our gun laws. And this is something that isn't discussed too often. But I think this is actually the time to really bring it home, particularly on one issue that just highlights the problem and it'll have the effect of either the gaining of gun rights for tens of thousands of perfectly safe citizens and or call out the politicians on the other side that make these wild claims of racism all the time about everything. And yet on this issue, the silence is deafening. And the time has come. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. It is really outrageous that we have a law on the federal books under the U.S. Code, a law that says felons can be relieved of their disability, that being a felony conviction that bars the felon from having Second Amendment rights, they can apply in law to get what's called a relief from disabilities. However, this federal relief from disabilities is now coming on a 30-year anniversary of it being unfunded thanks to none other than Charles Schumer. In other words, for now, for almost 30 years, even though we have a law that allows for individuals to get their gun rights restored, thanks to Charles Schumer, for 30 years, individuals have not been able to utilize that law because it has been defunded. And I want to get into detail and explain this here. And the reason this is systemic racism is because blacks to whites ratio for felons is essentially five to one or six to one given whatever statistics you're looking at. And even if we go with the low number of five to one, it means for every white felon, there's five black felons. And today, our society seems to be desiring to address how blacks have been treated through the criminal justice system, how there is this disparity how statistically it can be shown. And look, you know, you could argue about whether these convictions are justified or not justified, whether they were based in race or not to begin with. But it just is indisputable that there is this disparity, a huge disparity. And the problem is that at a ratio of five to one, Blacks cannot get their rights back the same as whites.
because of that ratio. Let me explain this further because now is the time for someone, some legislator federally, to put a bill forward to fix this situation. If you look at Title 18 of the U.S. Code under Section 925, subsection C, here's what it says. It says, a person who is prohibited from possessing, shipping, transporting, or receiving firearms or ammunition may make application to the Attorney General for relief from the disabilities imposed by federal laws with respect to the acquisition, receipt, transfer, shipment, transportation, or possession of firearms. And the Attorney General may grant such relief if it is established to his satisfaction that the circumstances regarding the disability, the applicant's record and reputation are such that the applicant will not be likely to act in a manner dangerous to public safety, okay, that's in the consideration, and that the granting of relief would not be contrary to the public interest. Any person whose application for relief for disabilities is denied by the Attorney General may file a petition with the United States District Court for the district in which he resides for a judicial review of such denial. The court may, in its discretion, admit additional evidence where failure to do so would result in a miscarriage of justice. A licensed importer, licensed manufacturer, licensed dealer, or licensed collector conducting operations under this chapter who makes application for relief from the disabilities incurred under this chapter shall not be barred by such disability from further operations under his license pending final action on the application for relief pursuant to this section. Whenever the Attorney General grants relief to any person pursuant to this section, he shall promptly publish in the Federal Register notice of such action together with the reasons therefore. That is our law. It still is our law. It is still on the book so that individuals who are not a threat to public safety, where it's not a problem in the public interest, good people who have paid their debt to society in which enough time has gone by and they have demonstrated that they are rehabilitated and no longer a danger, no longer a threat, and that they made their one mistake and they paid for it, and now they can get their rights restored. Even though that law is on the books allowing that to happen, thanks to Charles Schumer in October of 1992, he put forward the defunding of that provision so that ATF slash the Attorney General has no money to process the applications. And by denying the money to process the application, 
It's gone through the courts, and they say then it's as good as if they repealed the law. But they didn't repeal the law. And you cannot force the review. Even though it says that you have this right, this ability. Now keep in mind, this was passed in the 60s when they passed the 68 law. This was part of it so that individuals would not permanently lose their gun rights forever if they were proven and able to be shown that they're not a danger. Yet this cannot be utilized. And what it what it means now for 30 years, decent people who are not a threat or danger have had no means to gaining their Second Amendment rights back if they had a federal conviction. Now, interestingly, if you've had a state conviction, thanks to the Gun Owners Protection Act in 86, what was done there was a recognition expressly that if you had a state relief, a state expungement, a state annulment, a governor's pardon from your state for a state crime, the feds automatically recognize that as relieving you and you get your gun rights back. But if you happen to have a federal conviction, there is no way for you to get your rights back. It doesn't exist because of Schumer. And I think he needs to be called out on his institutionalized racism. And given today's environment of a focus on this issue, well, here's a real one. Here's an issue right here that bars blacks and Hispanics in a disparaging ratio from being able to get their rights restored so that they can be law-abiding gun owners exercising their Second Amendment rights. And this affects the ability of these minorities to have jobs in law enforcement, to serve in the military, to have any type of employment or job that requires them to be armed. This stops them from pursuing any of those kind of careers and abilities to raise themselves up in these positions. It holds them down because they can't get their rights back. It also stops them from being able to lawfully defend themselves with a firearm. The fact that they are now vulnerable and they are forced to be victims, even though they would qualify under an existing law that simply isn't funded. The movement, the request is simple. It needs to get funded. Money needs to be appropriated by Congress so that individuals, blacks and whites, anyone who's a felon who is no longer a danger, who can demonstrate it pursuant to how that law is set up to do it, should absolutely get their rights back. You know, this was done in a political way because they knew how difficult it would be for, quote, the NRA to want felons to have guns. And this is how it gets spun. Oh, you want felons to be armed. You want felons to have guns. Well, you know what? Yeah, I do. If they're not a danger, if they're not violent felons, if it's not against the public interest, 
If they've paid their uh, price already in their sentence and they've shown that they're a good person and not a danger, absolutely, they should get their constitutional rights back. And today, in this environment where you see the craziest stuff being put forward in terms of criminal justice, this isn't the least bit crazy. This is a law that's already there that needs to be funded so that good people can get their rights back. And I'll tell you what's absurd. Do you know corporations can still get relief from disabilities, but not people? So if a corporation committed crimes and what have you, they're not barred. They're still funded. And by the way, there's still relief from disabilities if you need to deal in explosives, dynamite, etc. That's okay, too. But not for firearms. Not for firearms for any person. And the people that are prohibited here are prohibited in an absolute disparity. And that is institutionalized racism. And it can be addressed and needs to be addressed by Congress. Let's see that start now. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Hello, welcome back. Evan Knappen here with Gun Lawyer. I want to thank my listeners for being loyal listeners. Uh, This environment of trying to communicate about gun laws and things that we all care about is extremely difficult these days. Every day you're seeing Twitter and Facebook, et cetera. These social media is just shutting out individuals. And I know I've been hammered by them as well. So I appreciate this forum very much. And uh, please tell your friends to subscribe and listen so we can help spread the word and keep you informed about the things that lamestream media doesn't want you to know. So I have gotten some very interesting letters, and I'd like to share some of them. This one uh, came from Randolph regarding 
legal weed. That's what he said. Evan, listening to the podcast from the start, well done, sir. Well, thank you, Randolph. I have learned from this show that even if legal in my state, messing with marijuana makes one a prohibited person because it is still illegal federally. I'm not interested in using my question for that. It's more financial. If an individual investment portfolio invests in a business that supplies marijuana, would one be, one, a prohibited person, and two, subject to RICO? Thanks, Randolph. So this is important question here about marijuana, and I have discussed in detail the issue with marijuana. Now, you probably remember the key phrase when it comes to marijuana, bang or bong, you can't have both. And that is absolutely the state of our law right now because federal law still views marijuana as a problem even though states have been legalizing it, including New Jersey for that matter. And the problem is if you are a user, if you have what's called a weed card, if you have a medical marijuana card, well, that bars you from gun possession federally. And if you're a user, you can lose your gun rights as a user because that's what the federal law talks about, someone who uses it. And if you get a possessory offense or a possessory charge, the feds extrapolate from that that you were using, even though that may not necessarily be the case. And so if you're going to go even to a dispensary when uh, one opens near you and you go to buy it, if they record your purchases, if there's records of this, well, those records could be used to disqualify you from from gun purchase. And, you know, if you're a user and actually using it, then you are a prohibited person federally. It's on the 4473 application. So you got to be careful. Until such time as they change the federal law, using marijuana is a disqualifier for guns. Now, Randolph's question is, if you're investing in, let's just say, a marijuana supply business, does that make you a prohibited person? Well, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a user. If they're going to somehow suggest that because your portfolio has that investment uh, that you're a user, it doesn't mean that. That's a stretch. The problem, though, is you might become a prohibited person if the uh, feds decide to enforce federal law on the state business because technically the federal law is still in effect and uh, although there is a lack of uh, federal enforcement it doesn't mean that there's not an ability to be prosecuted so you got to be careful with that and I would advise to stay away from anything having to do with marijuana until the feds change the law and remove it from the federal ban. Because uh, the states are doing their own thing, but the state doesn't preempt federal law. It doesn't become an exception for you to get around federal law. It doesn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, it's kind of strange and amazing that states 
are legalizing marijuana and allowing the, it to proceed in this manner when everybody is uh, arguably at risk of federal prosecution. But I guess the climate is such that they're not going to do it. Now, could you be subject to RICO? Well, technically you could be. But again, they're not doing enforcement, it seems, uh, on these things, at least not to the states where they're legal and they set up dispensaries and all. And there are many complications financially with marijuana, and that's part of the problem. Even banks getting involved, and they're banking, and now are they essentially involved in the drug trade? Are they? Is it laundering of money for drugs, even though they're open about where they got it from? I mean, these are all issues that are swirling around because the federal jurisdiction, the federal law, hasn't adjusted itself to the new political environment that exists now, uh, regardless of how you feel about it, it is true, of legalization by states and uh, removing uh, stigma to marijuana. And that's what's uh, going on. But the feds are well behind on getting the fed law changed. So beware. Beware as an individual gun owner so you don't get trapped or caught up in this uh, even though it may seem to be a low risk, it's still a risk, and you don't need to be made the example of. And uh, if you value your gun rights, I would just be patient. Eventually, the feds will get into line, I'm sure, as more states keep uh, passing legislation to legalize marijuana. I also received another letter that is uh, from Lloyd, and it's regarding a bayonet. And Lloyd has an interesting story here that he says. He said, many years ago, he says, I inherited firearms from a Norwegian friend. One of them is a Carcano with a fixed bayonet. It belonged to his father, who fought the Nazis. He was bricked up in a wall in Trondheim for three days with food and water waiting for an up-and-coming Nazi meeting. I have all the documentation. Plus, I sent photos of the emblems attached to the rifle to the Carcano Museum in England. They gave me all the info, like 1937 by Beretta, differences to the Oswald rifle. I saw what you wrote about an emergency visit to one's home and finding things illegal. I'm sure bayonets are not illegal in New Jersey, I guess this fold-away bayonet could be removed before someone saw it and reported it, but can it be saved as a historical item? So here's a letter, and it's interesting, and it's not it's something that I get frequently, individuals that have very cool collectibles and things that were left to them and inherited and acquired. And the question is, are they lawful? Is it legal? How do we navigate those waters? Well, first of all, a bayonet in and of itself, just a typical old bayonet, is not prohibited in New Jersey per se. Now, there is an other weapons section in Jersey that anything that's utilized with the intention as a weapon could be another weapon, but other weapon has exemptions such as possession in your home, etc. So you can have a bayonet possessed in your home, even if it is an other weapon. Now, what makes it 
concerning to people is that there is bayonet provisions that apply to a bayonet mount as an offending feature for a assault firearm. And in New Jersey, when we start dealing with whether something is, quote, an assault firearm, one of the offending features is does it have a bayonet mount? Not a bayonet, by the way, but a bayonet mount. And that provision only applies to semi-automatic rifles. So a Carcano is a bolt-action rifle. So the existence of a bayonet or bayonet mount on a Carcano is not a relevant factor under New Jersey law. So the bolt-action Carcano is not a problem. The fixed bayonet to the Carcano is not a problem. Individually, if the bayonet's removed, it's not a problem. Uh, and the fact that it has such rich history and documentation as to the role it played in uh, in World War II, that just adds to its uh, intrigue and fascination. Now, of course, Oswald famous rifle was a uh, Carcano and you know he supposedly ordered it from uh, mail order and that's what led to uh, the ending of mail order guns under federal law was uh, the allegation essentially that Oswald got his gun in that way. Now the Oswald Carcano is an interesting gun in and of itself because it has a scope mount, a scope and mount, the way he ordered it. And the scope and mount is actually a very inexpensive kind of Japanese scope and mount. And if you can find the Carcanos that were sold by the sporting goods store, I believe it was Klein Sporting Goods Store, where they you paid a little extra and got the scope and the mount on it, uh, those are pretty collectible because those really are uh, the, quote, Kennedy killers, you know, that uh, have that setup. And they can go for some decent money. But uh, the Carcano itself is a collectible firearm. It was a military firearm. It's a firearm of World War II. But it's not a prohibited firearm under Jersey law. The bayonet itself, not a problem. But you can see how the crazy patchwork of laws of Jersey just raises all these concerns so that individuals cannot be sure without asking an attorney whether a collectible rifle bolt action from World War II with a bayonet is legal in New Jersey. And it's really sad that we've gotten to that point, really that the laws are so convoluted and so much fear, which is based on reality of the gun laws being so harsh and unforgiving. So to play it safe, it's the best thing to do is clear it up. Send me, uh, send me your questions. I love to speak about them. I love getting the feedback. And I know that you, the listener, enjoy hearing what people have to say and what their questions may be and who knows maybe this is something you yourself were wondering about so until next time remember that gun laws 
don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.